60s, but I think it was either, it was 70 or 71, and the way I understand it, the 60s extend, extend into the early 70s, don't they? Isn't that the way it goes? So here's the story. I was uh, 22 at this time, and I had been traveling around Europe for a while. Uh, it was a great time of life to backpack around. And it was also the Vietnam era. And I had the number 65 in the draft, which meant that I was going to be called. And I actually took a physical in Germany while I was traveling around. I got to do that. And I remember that at the end of completing my physical at the army base in Germany, they called us into a room and gave us kind of a talk and I remember the gentleman saying, now you, got, you better show up when you're called. He said, some people are not doing that and you'll be in a lot of trouble and it uh, will basically ruin your life. Well, I had been thinking about this and uh, what I was going to do when I got called, which I knew I was going to be. And I um, spent about a year, year and a half, thinking about what different possibilities I had and I had decided that I was not going to fight in Vietnam. That was a personal decision that I made. And so I ended up deciding that I would go live in Canada. And so that was my plan. Uh, I felt at peace about that decision. And I still feel at peace about that decision, although I know many others made different decisions. If anybody wants to talk about that sometime, I'd be glad to do that. But for now, I want to tell you the story of what happened when I got on the plane and landed in Montreal. And I decided, well, I'm, I'm going to see if I can live there. That's going to be my goal. I did not know anybody in Canada let alone Montreal. I did not know a single soul, but I had a piece of paper and somebody had given me the name of someone and the address. That's what I had. I had the name of a friend of a friend. So I got off the plane in Montreal and somehow found this house uh, in a kind of older neighborhood. It was one of those two flat houses that are common in Montreal. And I walked up to the door with my backpack on my back and I knocked on that door. And then somebody, uh, I think a door buzzed, I opened the door and there was a young man at the top of the stairs. And he said, hi. <laughs> and I said, hi, is so-and-so here? That was, and that was the name I had. I said, is, I can't remember the name, is so-and-so here? And he said, nope, she doesn't live here anymore. So I'm like, you know, this is really all I have <laughs> in the world right now. And then as I turned to walk away, not having any idea where I was going to go actually, he said from the top of the stairs, do you need a place to crash? And I said, yes, I do. And he said, well, come on up. And so I came up and he invited me into his apartment and I ended up living in this apartment with two other guys for about six months until I got settled in Canada and actually that all worked out amazingly well. 
And so this guy had a huge effect on my life because I don't know what the path would have looked like if he hadn't said, do you need a place to crash? I mean, I don't know what pat trajectory through the universe I would have taken at that moment. He was of Hungarian descent, and um, he had a slight, very appealing accent. Just a slight Hungarian accent just made him more interesting. His name was Ivan, and Ivan made his living with a van, and he had a notice on what was called the community switchboard, and, and he would move people, and I got to work for him, so we would move people all over Montreal, you know, moving from one address to the other. And Ivan had a business name on the community switchboard, and his, his name of his business was Ivan the Mother Trucker. <laughs> this is all true, I swear it. It's all true. He was a good and generous person. He really was a good-hearted man. He took me in when I was a stranger in a strange but really quite inviting land. He took me in. He changed my life. What a powerful thing it is to welcome a stranger. It is one of those things you can do in life that could have a transforming effect on yourself and the one you're welcoming. Of course, we have to be careful in life. All that is true. We do have to be careful. We are not, uh, it's not recommended to be foolish or to make unwise choices. But when we welcome the stranger, amazing things can happen. I was watching television the other night, and I was watching the events in Charlotte, and I know many of you are very aware of that, and I, you may have seen this footage too, where there were these two National Guard troops, uh, both African-American, in full you know, uh, National Guard uniform, and they were giving hugs to the protesters. That's what they were doing. Protesters were coming up and along. And these, this one particular National Guard guy was just giving hugs to people. And that was a moment of just transcendence, I thought. You know, that this deep boundary that is causing so much pain for that moment, that boundary was being transcendent. And, and that's just something that lifts our spirits when we see that that's possible. Some of you, I think, will remember two guest speakers that we had about two years ago. I'm not sure the exact dates, but one of them was Rabbi Daniel Bogard. I, I'm sorry to say that uh, Rabbi Bogard and his spouse, Karen Bogard, who's also a rabbi, they're a rabbi couple, have now moved away from Peoria and gone off to the wilderness of Cincinnati, which I don't know why they wanted to do that. But. I'm sure it's a lovely place, and they had a good opportunity. But he was one of our guest speakers in this pulpit about two years ago, and I do remember him telling us about his kind of offbeat version of Reform Judaism theism, 
which sounded at the time almost indistinguishable from what I would call a typical UU humanism. As a matter of fact, they sounded almost the same. As a matter of fact, I, he said to me once, he said, you know, the people in your church are almost exactly like the people in, in my uh, temple. And I said, well, you know, we have a lot of atheists in, in our congregation. He said, oh, yeah, I do too. <laughs> so I remember that day as a moment of connection, you know, where we really saw how close we could be with another tradition, despite different names and different ideas about sacred books and all that kind of stuff. What a wonderful thing. And another person you re may remember speaking here during that same time a couple years ago was uh, Imam Kamil Mufti, who is the mom of the mosque uh, just north of Pioneer Parkway. Some of you are acquainted with that. And I remember that day him bringing us a message of peaceful and welcoming Islam. And I personally remember one thing about uh, Imam Mufti, who is a very interesting guy. He knew some Unitarian history. So what he knew was the story of King John Sigismund, who was king of Transylvania in the 1500s. And King John Sigismund was a Unitarian, and he decreed an edict of religious freedom in Transylvania, and I believe the date's 1563, but it's, it's, it's in that area, and Imam Mufti knew that. He knew about King John Sigismund, and he said that the Muslims were included in the freedom. And he was so, that was such a powerful thing for him. And if that wasn't welcoming enough, he later invited the whole city to come to an evening at his mosque for dinner and a program. I know, I don't know how many of you were there, but there were about 50 UUs there that night. It, I mean, I was trying to count them. It was at least 50 of us were in that gathering in the mosque that night, which was such a wonderful experience. And the way I described it was it was like peace on earth. That, that was my experience. You had the Police were there, the mayor and the legislators were there, and the, the Muslims were there, and there were Jewish people there, and there were Baha'is, and there were a whole lot of UUs, and then community activists. It was, it was really almost the whole community, and it felt to me like peace on earth. And I remember how truly welcoming the Muslim community was that night. They, they deeply and sincerely extended the hand of friendship and peace to us. What an amazing thing. And then also one of the speakers that night was Daniel Bogard, the rabbi I was telling you about, who said that of all people in the world, the Jews understand what the Muslims are going through. He said, we get it. We understand what's happening to you because that's what happened to us. And he said, we will stand with you and we will affirm your rights and your religious freedom because we know what that is like. It was such a powerful message from the rabbi in the mosque. 
Around this same time, Rabbi Bogard and Imam Mufti began to meet together with an evangelical Christian minister whose name is Jim Powell. He has a church right next to the mosque, actually. It's, uh, it's on Knoxville as you drive out. Richwoods, it's called. So they developed a kind of group. I'm, I'm going to call it a covenant circle. It's a, it was a group of friendship, the three of them, the rabbi, the imam, and the evangelical minister started meeting together from these, and I think it was important to them, they were from the three Abrahamic faith traditions. They started meeting together to see if they could be friends and what might come out of that. Could they be friends across these great chasms of distrust and suspicion and political strife and, and downright warfare that separate their faith traditions? And so this friendship developed over a period of time. And I just want to let you know that now a movie has been filmed about these three guys, which is going to be showing in Peoria, I believe it's around the end of October. Is that right, Dave? Dave Wyman knows a lot about this. And uh, it, the project is called No Joke. That's the name of the project, No Joke. And so this is, and it's going to be shown in some other venues as well, and we're going to participate in this event. It's not clear exactly how we're going to participate, but we're going to be part of this event in some way. So um, you don't need to look right now, but I did give you the website in your order of service, and you can check out that website, and you can go see what they're doing, and we're going to let you know more about that project. The message is that if they can get beyond these boundaries, then surely the rest of us could do that too. It's not a simple thing. It's, it involves some discomfort to do these kinds of things, but it also has its moment of transcendence like that night at the mosque where you see it happen and you feel what that's like. It can be done. What they say in one of their brochures is that they have learned the art of staying in the room with difference. The deep connection that comes from being unusually interested in each other. And here's the part I like. And the freedom that comes when I stop comparing my best with your worst. The freedom that comes when I stop comparing my best with your worst. I want to observe how interesting it is that of the three clergy in the film, the one we haven't had speak in our church is the evangelical. So I just want to point that out because he's probably the one whose message we would have the most discomfort with, perhaps, some of us. And that would be a challenge. So isn't that an interesting observation about us and where our tensions and our wounds may lie, and I don't know, I might invite this guy to come and preach one day and let's hear what he has to say. Um, we have our wounds too, don't we? We have our ways in which we're wounded, and those are real experiences, and we have our own chasms of distrust and suspicion. We, we need to grow too to expand our circle of care and love to include ever wider kinds of human beings and creatures. Our universalist,
tradition holds up this idea of a radical, inclusive love. That's, that's what it says on the cover of our program. You don't have to check it, but it, believe me, that's what it says on the cover. It says in loving, loving inclusively. That's what we say. So that's our tradition. So inclusively means everybody. Oh, man, I can't do that. <laughs> I, could love, I can love Cubs fans, but I don't know if I can love Cardinal fans. <laughs> you know? I can love my favorite political candidate, but not that other one. <laughs> Come on. I want to love the people I like. That's who I want to love. I don't want to love those people I don't like very much. Seem like a bunch of... Anyway, I, by the way, I've gotten over it with Cardinal fans. I just got, I got Cardinal fan friends all over the place. We went to the Cubs-Cardinals game in St. Louis two weeks ago, and this, there were lots of Cardinals fans who talked to us because we had on these Cub shirts. And this one, there was a woman, two women. One was blind, and the other one was leading her around, and they asked if they could cut in line in front of us, and we said yes. And the woman said, you know, it's great that you guys are winning it this year. She said, that's so nice. You deserve a chance. <laughs> that's inclusive love, isn't it? That's inclusive love. She was there. And I could felt the, feel those waves of love, you know, just washing over me. So inclusive means all kinds of folks. Theists and atheists, black, brown, and white people, rich and poor. We are a welcoming congregation. And that's a, one of the best things about this church, but it is also true that we can deepen that. We can deepen that. And we can grow spiritually into more, more ways of welcoming. welcoming. I hope um, in the coming days we're looking at some curricula that would that we could use. There are some wonderful curricula out there for uh, helping congregations and other groups grow in their inclusiveness. And I'm hoping that we will offer one of those in the, in the very near future. You know, there is a crisis of welcoming in our country right now. We're in a crisis about that. Who's welcome here? The demonstrations in Charlotte are one example of that crisis, and there are others. Many African Americans do not feel welcome in their own country. Do you get that? Do not feel welcome in their own country. Many Native Americans don't feel welcome in their own country, on their own land. Don't feel welcome. As a matter of fact, I have talked to African Americans uh, who go traveling abroad and sometimes come back and say, I felt more welcome over there than I do here. So there's a whole spiritual need here for how we develop this attitude of welcoming. We have a crisis in immigration that everybody knows about. It's a huge issue in our country. And we tend to stereotype and demonize workers who have come to this country. At least that's out in the air right now. They've come over here to work without the right papers. But the reality is, in many ways, we invited these workers to come. We, we offered them jobs, millions of jobs, and gave them those jobs when they were desperate 
for jobs. And none of the companies that illegally hired these people were ever punished in any way. It, it's just been part of our economy. We've offered and they've come. So now we have a kind of wave of fear that takes over and now they're criminals and drug dealers are called that at least. I know undocumented workers personally and the ones I know are not criminals and drug dealers. They're human beings. They are friendly, warm-hearted, and usually very family-oriented people. And they are just as deserving of respect as anyone else. They're worthy of being treated with compassion and full human rights. Some of us watched this film the other night, the Ken Burns documentary about uh, the Unitarian couple, uh, Waitstill and Martha Sharp, who worked to get kids and adults out of Europe during the Holocaust. It's a moving story of heroism and the price of heroism as well. In our time, it's the Syrians who have no place to go and living in a horrible war zone. Syrians of Muslim and Christian descent. And so this is a huge crisis of commitment for our world. And you can see it playing out in, in Europe and you can see it uh, in our election cycle as well. Germany committed to taking a million Syrian refugees and the prime minister of Germany who a year ago was on the cover of Time magazine for being the most powerful woman in the world is now in danger of losing her job because of how much pain there is over this. When some of us gathered on Thursday night to discuss this film, after we had our discussion, those of us gathered there, we UUs decided that we need to find some way to help in that crisis. We need to find what we could do. And so we need to look for that and see if there's some way to provide a home to people who have no home and that nobody's in a hurry to take. They come over on boats and, and just looking for, looking for a welcome somewhere. As Rabbi Bogard knows so well and told us, in other circumstances, it could just as easily be us. There is, unfortunately, a wave of bigotry in our country right now. It's generated by fear. I think it's, it's about fear. And it's also about a failure of our uh, leaders to give every hardworking American a fair share of our country's enormous wealth. A lot of this is just because the huge wealth of this country is not shared. It's concentrated increasingly in the hands of a few. And so people are caught up in fear and anger and they're upset and you know what, we need to figure out how to love those people too. The ones who are caught up in this wave of intolerance. There must be some way to love them too. This is what Martin Luther King said during the Civil Rights Movement. Some people say we need to, we need to these bigots need to be punished, they need to be hung, they need to be, and, and King would always say, no, that's not it at all, we need to win them over. 
We need to win them over so that they see that love is a better path. That's what we need to do with folks whose vision may be clouded. We will always need laws and boundaries and limits, but our one default attitude needs to be the attitude of welcome, respect, and compassion. That is the direction where fulfillment lies. Welcoming is astronomically more fun than rejection. Astronomically more fun. Would you rather go to a good party or a war? (laughs) Think it over. I know that when Ivan took me in, a young American guy traveling around with a backpack and no clue where I was going, he changed my life. I would like to do that for others to pay it forward. It will not always be clear exactly how to proceed in that direction. We will not always know exactly what to do about that. But we can still commit to having that be our direction. We can set that on our compass. We can commit to being welcoming, loving, accepting, and compassionate towards all kinds of people. And then with that compass in mind, then we can move forward, step by step and moment by moment, not necessarily knowing where the next step will lead us, but following that compass of welcome and love, following our own deep principle of loving inclusively wherever it may lead.